You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. But this question of fear, we're all afraid of it. And there are things in relationship to this fear that you and I have to recognize. That if you trust in God and let Him be your guide and strength, you won't have that fear. And your fear is in relationship to your trust. As your faith in God gets stronger, your fear dissipates. And as your faith in God gets weaker, your fear arises. You want to have fear dissipated and removed? Then you rise up and hold up the name of the living God and look to Him to undertake for you, and He will. It's our faith that brings victory. It's our faith that casts out fear and enables us to put our trust in the blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will worship the man of Galilee who went to a cross 2,000 years ago, and no one can take his place. No one will intercede or interfere. We will not permit it. So it is we have faith without fear. Good evening and happy seven-year anniversary. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Welcome. We're so excited that each and every one of you are here. If this is your first time, let me be the first to say thank you for being our honored guest today. I can't believe our little baby church is growing up seven years old today. It's exciting to see what God is doing, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of the last year that we've had, our God is still on the move. He hasn't stopped. We're still seeing people saved. We're still seeing people baptized. We're still seeing people discipled. We're still seeing marriages helped and restored. We're still seeing parents being encouraged to continue to leave a godly legacy. We are still seeing God move. Never for a second believe that the battle is over and it's won. No, no, we are on the victor's side. And I know we're gonna experience our setbacks, but remember, here it is, the, it's the faithful person. God calls to be faithful. And that's what our church has been over the last seven years. Well, I love this time of year. And uh, whenever we come to our anniversary, this kind of time of year, I go back through some of the journals that I've kept just over the years, and I get, I kind of go back through them, and I was, I'm missing two of them. I don't know where the other two are. My kids like to use them for coloring books, and what I do during this time of year is, oh, you, you got kids too. You know exactly what they do. You know, God's speaking to you like mysteries and oracles, and your kids are like, yes, let me color on those, make paper airplanes, and cut out important notes, and they're gone forever. You're like, all right, Lord, I tried, but I'll go back through, and I'll see a uh, prayer request. You know, uh, I had one, and, and this is so funny because I was like, God, we need, 
We need this amount of money. And it, it, it's desperate. It's desperate, you know. And I remember looking at that. Oh, man, I remember those days. I remember the days where it was like, all right, God, I'll get a second job. We'll keep, Jane and I will support the church during this season, you know. I remember the time where it was like, hey, Lord, if you would just give us two life group leaders. You know, if you, we could just have two life groups, you know. And you start praying for those things. And I remember when uh, uh, people started coming to the church and I'd meet with them and I'd, I would talk to them about what God's doing in their life and just down through the years, I could just go back through. And as I went back through, I realized something in these pages. God was speaking that the pages still have a message to preach. And so it is with this evening. Some of your names are in here. I remember when uh, just over a year ago, this week we're going to celebrate uh, Goliath Yabara's birthday. But I remember just two years ago, we didn't know if we were going to celebrate Goliath's birthday. I remember when we showed up at the Nick Q unit. I remember it was touch and go. And I remember just his dad saying, no, no, we have nothing but faith. And we're going to pray over this. And we're going to ask God. And I mean, uh, little baby Goliath, he, he's looking more and more like Goliath. But back then, you could fit Goliath in the, just the palm of your hand. You were just praying, just praying for a miracle. And it's exciting that I can see that and I can look back. So what's wonderful about tonight is we kind of get to look back. Because our past has a way of informing our present circumstances and what we're going through. If you have a copy of God's word, would you go to the book of Exodus? We're in Exodus chapter number 16. Exodus 16. And we're going to be there for a little bit tonight. And you know, you possess no more of God than you possess of his word. You possess no more of God than you possess of his word. I think it's important that you and I have a copy of God's word, whether you have it on a mobile device, an iPad, or if you went old school and you brought a Bible to church. But it's not so much the Bible that you bring on Sunday, but the Bible you read on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Let the word get in you as you get in the word. And let God speak to you. Let God minister to you. Our faith rises as we get in the word. And we're going to be in Exodus 16. But as you turn there, one of the notes that I read this past week, I was sitting on an airplane with Pastor Missile. We, we were speaking at a conference in Las Vegas, and this was just before I stole somebody's luggage. I told you Pastor Missile is never going to take me anywhere with him ever again. We get off the, uh, the airport and uh, airplane. We're at Las Vegas. And uh, no, we were not trying to raise money for the building fund. That's not why we were there. But uh, we were speaking at a conference, and I said, hmm, that's my bag. But somebody took my name tag off of it. Oh, well. So I just grabbed it. And I just, I left. I left. I left the bag. It, 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 it's, you ever gone to Costco? You know how Costco sells the luggage, you know, at Costco? Uh, that's, that was my bag. It was, it was a gray Costco bag. So I grab it. And uh, my, Jane's calling me. I get unknown numbers. I get spam calls. So I wasn't answering. I was just like, honey, I'll call you back later. It's fine. I'm in the middle. We're, we're getting our car. And all of a sudden, Southwest is like, sir, you have the wrong bag I didn't even think to check you know and so but as we were flying to Las Vegas I went through my journals and I found a quote and I want to give it to you this evening before God does something new he disrupts what is normal let me say it again before God does something new he disrupts what is normal I know some of you may not like normal but I grew up in Fresno we love normal 
I've got a bunch of friends that are working the same job I worked at at high school. They love normal. Fresno is one of those places you could just kind of stay in the same town with the same people, same groups of friends. You don't have to go nowhere. You don't have to mess with anybody. It's just kind of a place where you can just kind of find a time freeze and push pause. And with all the craziness, I could use with a little normal. How many of you looking forward to just a little bit of normal? You looking forward to normal? I guess just two of us. Nobody's looking forward to normal. I'm kind of looking forward to normal. But God has a way of using those seasons to disrupt because God wants to do something new in our life. And you and I, right now, January 31st, 2021, we are living in between new and normal. We're not into the new and we're not in the normal. We're in between new and normal. So what do they call that place? Because it's uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I don't really like it because I don't know exactly what to do. And too often, I wish we could call the space in between new and normal, I wish we could call it now. Like, can we just do it now? Can we just get there now? Can I just have the relationship now? Can I just have the job now? Can I just graduate now? Can my kids just grow up now? Can my husband, no, no, never mind, we won't go there. Uh, But you know what I mean? We're just kind of like, can this problem be solved now? And we wish that we could quickly get from new and that new would just turn into the normal. I remember when I first got married, there were some new things that were turning normal. The fact that now I have to share a sink with somebody else. I can't just have my space. And then uh, she had to deal with that as well. I had to deal with the fact that I, I, this apartment is no longer my apartment. And it's going to have a feminine touch all over this place. There were some things about the fact that my car was now her car. There's some things to disrupt on the way uh, to normal. You and I are trying to see things become normal. But on the way, it's difficult. And as I began to think about God disrupting what is normal, I remember something that happened several years ago. And as soon as I say this, you're going to want to judge me, and that's okay. You can judge. You can judge. Several years ago, I was working out at my gym, and everybody was telling me about the health benefits of acupuncture. They said, man, the aches and the pains and the soreness, you got to go to an acupuncture person. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound very fun. Uh, I've told you how I'm uh, afraid of needles. There's some about it. It's not that I don't mind the pain. It's just as soon as the needle goes into my arm, I get all woozy and I start to black out. And I've told the nurse this. I'm like, hey, look, it's not that it hurts. I don't know what happens. I'm just going to start getting tunnel vision and I'm, I'm going to black out. You know, and she's like, not a problem. It happens to most men. So I was like, all right, good. Okay, most men have this problem. I felt a little bit better with that one. So I'm going to go see this acupuncture and uh, deal with some of the aches and pains I was having from training and everything like that. So I go, and uh, all of a sudden, she proceeds to put dozens of needles just all over my body. So they put a bunch in your ears. They put a bunch in, in your face. You just got needles all in your face. She puts it in your arms, and then she could, like, take one that was in your hand and wiggle it because they put it in nerve endings, and my toe would move. And I was like, no, no, don't do that again, you know. And she's like, watch this. I'm going to make your toes move, make you dance. And I was like, this is odd. This is such a weird feeling because she was putting them in these little nerves. And I was like, man, this is, uh, this is not for me. And so then she puts them in my feet. 
She put some in my uh, thighs. She even put some in my stomach. It was just the weirdest sensation. She was like, okay, now just relax. And I don't know why she said relax because I had literally dozens of needles all over my body. She wants me to relax. I'm like, okay, all right, look like something out of a horror film. And she's like, just, just, just let your body, just all the aches and pains. And I was like, I feel worse, not better, you know. 45 minutes later, she comes back. She's like, okay, all right, how do you feel? And I was like, honestly, I feel worse, not better. And uh, she was a, a, a Chinese woman. And she's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna prescribe you uh, some holistic medications for you to take. And she puts them in a bottle, gives it to me. And uh, she actually prescribes two prescriptions for me. The first one was this bottle of pills. She said, okay, go take these home. And I want you to take these a couple times a day. These are organic and you take them. It's gonna help you with all the, all the stuff you're going through right now. And I was like, okay. And then after a few days, I, I, I was taking it. And then Jane asked me, she was like, uh, what are you taking? And I said, I don't know what I'm taking. The, the, the Chinese lady at the acupuncture lady, she just handed it to me, and I'm just, I'm just taking it. And we have a wonderful couple in our church. Many of you know them and love them like I do. Oscar and Faith Al. And uh, they are Chinese. They read and speak Cantonese, Mandarin, and all that. So I take a screenshot, and I say, hey, Oscar, uh, the doc gave me this, and I sent it to him. And then he starts sending me back laughing emoticons. And I was like, that's kind of mean, Oscar. Like, kind of hurting my feelings, man. I was like, here I'm concerned about my health and my stress. And he just can't stop laughing. <laughs> he just keeps sending these laughing emoticons. And he said, ha ha, funny joke. You're not really taking those, are you? And I said, well, let's say somebody was to take them. <laughs> like, hypothetically. Hypothetically, if somebody had been taking them several times a day over the last several days, hypothetically, Oh, what would you say? And he said, because that's what we give to menopausal women. <laughs> I told you, you can judge. You can judge. You can judge. Be careful what you take. That was her first remedy. I, I quickly stopped taking them. But that may explain my salmon pink pant phase. Just maybe. It just might. But then her second remedy, she came to me and she said, hey, I don't normally tell people this, but she said, I'm an acupuncture and I've studied medicine, but I'm also a devout Christian. She said, I don't really think your aches and pains have to do with anything really physical. I think it's actually spiritual. And then my ears picked up because she said, I want you, I want to pray over you. And then she said, I want to read for you a quote because she said she was heavily influenced by the writing and teaching of a man by the name of Watchman Nee. And she said, I think there's a book I want you to read. And she gave me this quote from Watchman Nee and it said this, we never learn anything new about God except through adversity. And then she said, I want you to read his book, The Normal Christian Life. Because what you and I are going through and we're chasing and pursuing normal, but the adversity you and I are going through is on the way to normal. And too many times it's in that adversity that we push back against what God is doing. Because just like what Watchman Nee said, we never learn anything new about God, except through adversity. And that's where we find the children of Israel in Exodus 16. Notice if you would, verse number one, the Bible says, and they journeyed from Elam. That's where they, we were last week. And the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Understand, Sin is short for Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. 
Last week, we noticed that they were just out of Egypt for six days. Now it's been an entire month has passed since they've left Egypt. An entire month has passed. Verse 3, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we, or excuse me, verse 2, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we had bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord for the hears your complaint for he hears your complaint against the Lord but what are we that you complain against us also Moses said this shall not be seen what the Lord gives you uh, that the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him and what are we your complaints are not against us but against the Lord then Moses spake to Aaron say to all the congregation the children of Israel Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Here in this passage, we see that they're in transition. We see that once again, they're back to complaining. Last chapter, they were complaining because they said, Moses, you brought us out into the wilderness because you want us to die of dehydration. Now, it's just a short time, 14 days later, and now they're saying, Moses, once again, you're trying to kill us. You brought us out into the wilderness, and you want us to starve to death. They're in transition because God was disrupting their life. God was disrupting what was normal, and now he's bringing them into something new. But I want you to see something. In verses 1 and 3, we see they start to question what God is doing. And you and I have been in this place, haven't we? We begin to question, God, what is going on? God, what's going on in the world? I mean, what's going on in our country? What's going on with friends and family? What's going on in my own heart and my own emotions? What is going on in the world, God? And the questions that they begin to ask, Moses, is the same question you and I are asking. Are you trying to kill us? Are you trying to ruin my life? And this is a dangerous place for a Christian to be when we let the questions take over. You say, what do you mean? You see, the questions almost led them to quit. Because they begin to question God, are you sure? Because they're not just questioning God's, uh, really, his character, but his motives. God, what are you really doing here? God, what, why are you bringing us out into the wilderness? What are you doing? Because you and I will have these questions, and sometimes the questions can lead us to quit. You think of Eve. She's in the garden, and she's being uh, brought to a point of temptation. Now she's questioning the goodness of God. 
You may be in your relationship with your spouse, and all of a sudden you begin to realize or think to yourself, my spouse must hate me. They must want to leave me because they don't do this and they don't do that. And you begin to question what they're doing. Oh, my boss can't stand me. That's why he's looked at me that way. Or that's why he didn't give me that promotion or that bonus. Oftentimes we're thinking these thoughts, but they're not thinking that of us. The reason your husband may have forgot something is because he has a lot on his mind. It wasn't intentional. It was more often than not accidental. It wasn't that your boss is upset with you. It's that he had indigestion that day when you passed by the office. And so many times we can, we can read into what somebody's doing. And we can begin to question. And the questions begin to lead us down a path where we now want to quit. Where we want to quit on God, quit on the relationship, quit on what God's doing. Because that's what it did for the children of Israel. They're questioning God's goodness. And they begin to question what God was doing. Here's another thing. They said, have you brought us out into the desert to kill us? Let me ask you a question. How much of what you anticipate actually occurs? Think about it for a second. How much of what you anticipate actually occurs? Because they're anticipating massive death of all two and a half to three million people. That's what they're anticipating. And they were anticipating that in the last chapter too, weren't they? Hey, we're all going to die. It's over. This is, this is the end. And I think too often that's where we let our minds go. We let it run wild. We just anticipate all these things. And we, we come to the point where we never admit that none of it actually happened. It, it, it isn't coming to pass. I know there are things that have happened in our country right now we may or may not like. And you could say, oh, this is the end. But we can go down a train of thinking where it's this anticipation is not what actually occurs. You see, what you anticipate and what you experience are two different things. Look how fast people go from singing to believing they're starving. You see, chapter 15 opens up, break out the tambourines. We're dancing in the desert, and not more than the chapter later, they're already like, God, you're trying to kill us again. Like, if God wanted to kill you, he had a perfectly good Red Sea he could just shut while you're walking through. Hey, if God wanted to kill you, he could have left you in Egypt. Have you noticed how irrational we get sometimes? Like, if God really wanted to take us out, don't you think he could have done that in other ways? But you're, you're just thinking, God, this is, how you want, this is how I meet my end. It's right here, right now. This is it. You're just trying to ruin my life. No, that's not what God's trying to do. You see, the people went from singing to believing they're starving. You see, God is teaching the children of Israel the same thing he's teaching you and me, to daily trust him, to walk by faith and not by sight, to understand that this is a daily journey, that this is, this is a day-by-day dependence on God. The only time I ever competed in a singing competition, I sang a duet. And I came in second place out of two contestants. It's pretty bad. Pretty bad. And understand this. I, my song was this. My duet was this simple song. I'm not going to sing it for you. But it was day by day and with each passing moment. Strength I find to meet you there. Day by day, with each passing moment, I just trust you. I find strength in you. And we just, every day, we just got to say, God, I need you today. This is why in, when you see the, the Lord's Prayer, it says, and give us this day our daily bread. I know many of us wish it was like Costco. And God, give us our bulk bread. Just load it up to us. And God, just pour out all the blessings right now in bulk. I can handle it. I got a big truck. Don't worry about it. And I got plenty of people to help me. You could just load it on me right now. Just bring it in bulk. And God says, no, no, I'm going to give it to you daily because I'm, learning, I'm teaching you how to trust me. 
I'm teaching you that today you need to trust me. God, God is trying to teach our church just every day, just trust me. I go from week to week just saying, all right, God, I got to trust you today. I got to trust you in this moment. You have no idea how much I'm just saying, God, I'm going to trust you this afternoon. It's like, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you because I know that you're always good and I've got to preach to myself and then I'll go back to my journals and see, look at how desperate I was there over small things and now the things are growing and I've got to say, God, I've preached these pages, still preach, so preach them to me, God. So remind me of your truth, God. Remind me of who you are, God. Speak to me once again, God. Rebuke these thoughts that are in my mind, God, and help me, God, to seek you because this is a daily walk with you. And I know you and I don't like the daily dependence. Come on, we're self-made. We just kind of think that I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm a self-made man or woman. But God said, no, 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 you are to be a savior-made man or woman. God wants us to have this daily dependence on him. Don't, don't let the doubt, don't let the questions lead you to quit. You see, doubt dies unborn if it's never spoken. Doubt will die if it's never spoken out loud. But how many times we just let the doubt creep in and destroy us? You see, I noticed this thing too. If you look at the verse, isn't it crazy how they always reflected back on how good Egypt was? They said, oh, remember when we had so much meat to eat? There were just pots of meat everywhere. They just walking down the street. Oh, look, ribs. Oh, look, fried chicken. It's wonderful. Oh, look, pork. We're Jewish. Never mind. Uh, oh, look, beef. Look what God has provided. It's just everywhere. It's just meat in abundance. That's not how it was. That's not how it was. But I noticed they did something you and I do. We distort the past so we can compare it with the present. We make the past seem so good. Like, my old boss was a way better boss than this guy. Way better. You, and you didn't like your old boss. But isn't it amazing now you, can, you just want to be able to bring this one down? Oh, man, my old church was so much better than this church. It probably was, <laughs> just to tell you the truth. I'll be honest with you. Oh, man, this is so much better. This relationship and this, yes, maybe, but we always like to distort the past. And if you have to pull down your past to make it seem like the present, that's what the children of Israel were doing. They were distorting their past. They were trying to make it look so much better, but they hated Egypt. For 430 years, they were slaves in bondage. The Bible says they cried out to God by reason of their taskmaster, saying, deliver us. And God sent Moses to deliver them. But yet here you and I, we are distorting the past so we can compare it with our present. We're saying, oh man, the past used to be better. Oh, the past is never going to be any, in the future is never going to be any good. Why? Because you're comparing it. You're distorting what God did in the past. You're distorting what happened. Why do you and I only remember what we want to remember? So we can justify our rants. That's why. We only remember what we want to remember so we can justify our rants. The Bible says they murmur and complain to Moses. So to be able to murmur and complain, they got to say, hey, guys, we got to all agree. Egypt was great. We're all in agreement. It's great. What about the beatings and the scourgings and the drowning our, unborn, our children? No, no, shh, shh. We had meat, remember? We had food. None of that matters. We're all in agreement. Hey, Moses, a committee has assembled, and we all agree Egypt's better. And Moses is like, well... Hey, buddy, I hate to break to you. There's no going back. The Red Sea is not going to part anymore. This is where we are. So stop going back and stop remembering the past. And, and here's what it is. You need to be honest 
with your history. Be honest with yourself about your history. Say, you know what? I'm no longer going to manipulate my memories. And some of us do this. We start manipulating. It's called selective memory. You see, we start to tell ourselves that it's never been this bad. We've never faced anything this hard. We used to have it so good. My spouse was never nice to me, never loved me. My church never cared about me. I've never been happier. I've never been, will be, it's never going to be. You see how we do it? You see how we just take the past and we just use it to just fit whatever situation we want it to be? That's called manipulating our memories. Satan doesn't have to manipulate you. You wouldn't manipulate you to get what you want, to get where you want, because you and I are in the same uncomfortable place. We are between new and normal, and we want the new to become normal. But on the way to that, you want it now, and it doesn't happen now. It's a process. It takes time. What does the book of James say? But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. But we want perfection microwaved. We want the perfect marriage now. You've only been married five minutes, but I want a perfect marriage. Oh, I want this job to work out now. You just started the job. It's going to take some time. Oh, I want everything perfect now. That's not the world we live in. The world we live in takes growth. There's process. There's time. But not only do we see that don't distort the past so it compares to the present, when you choose to focus on the past, you will lose sight of the future. This is why they could say, you're going to kill us. They had lost sight of the future. I can't tell you, this, for right now, if you hear nothing else tonight, hear that. Don't lose sight of the future, because God has the future for us. This is why when you leave our building, we want to have a sign that says, the best is yet to come. That's why the year, the word for my year is the word forward, because I believe that God is doing something. I don't believe God's given up on his church. I don't believe God's given up on any of you. I don't believe that God's given up on my prayer list. I don't believe that God's given up on the goals and the dreams that he's put inside my heart. I don't for a second believe that God's done. As a matter of fact, I know that God is continuing to move, that God is continuing to work miracles. We're in the way. We got to keep moving. But let me ask you another question. What is living rent-free in your mind? What negative thoughts just live there? The Bible tells us to take every thought captive. Don't just let it live there. Don't just let the memories of the past distort you. But notice if you would, verse 15. It says, so when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Here we see the first time Manna is introduced. We see manna from heaven. We see this bread that God pours out to his people. God furnishes bread in the desert. God provides for them in a miraculous way. God begins to do something so amazing that they come to this moment, they're like, wow, God provided bread. And then not only did God provide bread, he also provides quail in the evening. They have meat in the evening. And as they begin to study it, the type of quail that they had was a delicacy back in Egypt. So God just didn't provide them food. He provided them good food. This is why the Bible says, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is why God says, I'm here to give you life and to give it more abundantly. God's not just here to give you a little bit of life, but to give you more life, an abundant life, this overflowing life, this Zoe life, this life that just overwhelms you and then begins to leak onto others near you, that there's people that want to be next to you because I say, whenever I'm around you, it's so life-giving and I just enjoy your spirit and your spirit is refreshing my spirit. And all of a sudden, we have iron sharpening iron where two or three are gathered 
gathered. That's why God is there in the presence. And so we need to look back and say, God, I want this. I want your presence, God. And God began to meet with them as they had bread from heaven. And so God sends down this bread. But they had to do something. They had to quiet the questions. What are the questions running through your mind? What are the thoughts that are just running through and just all the doubt running through? Maybe it's time we say, God, I'm going to quiet the questions that are going on. Because, God, you're working. Because our faith rests on fact, not on feelings. And too many times it's easy to give in to the feelings. And it's easy to ignore the fact that God will provide, that God will make a way. And God does this new miracle. The Bible tells us that this miracle, every day there would be fresh bread. Every day the manna would be there. Verse 16 says, For this thing which the Lord has commanded, let every man gather according to each one his need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's need. Everyone had equal opportunity. Everybody. This is God's goodness. It's just not manna. It's mercy. God's mercy was poured out. He was saying, I'm going to give bread to who? The very same ones who were grumbling and complaining. The very ones who said, Moses, you're here to kill us. Moses, you're here to starve us. God said, don't worry, Moses. I love them too. I'm going to make sure they have all the bread they need. I'm going to take care of them. You see, you and I, we've had those moments where we've been grumbling and complaining against God. And if that's you, let's get a, let's get a grip on our grumbling. Let's say, God, let's, bring this, let's, let's work on this grumbling thing, God. Every time, every time my Starbucks order, every time I get stuck in traffic, or every time my kids uh, do one little thing, I start to grumble and complain. So, God, let's get a grip this year on our grumbling. Lord, help me to have the right spirit. God, help me to look at things through heaven's perspective. See, God was doing a new miracle. But here's the deal. You get what you gather. There are some that they just said, oh, I'm not going to gather. We don't, for sake of time, you'll have to read through the text. There were some that said, oh, I'll go out later in the day and I'll gather. I don't want to get up because it says, and in the morning, early in the morning, you got to get up and gather the manna. There were some, they laid it, waited till later in the morning. And then when the sun rose, the Bible says it melted the manna and it became sour and the worms ate it. So you had to get up early to get to the manna. You had to get early and get the bread. There were some, they said, no, we're not going to get it, and we're not going to get up and get it. So this is a reminder to us. We, we, we get what we gather. What are you gathering in this season? You know, our church started seven years ago in the Oak Ridge Mall movie theater. We started first Sunday, 57 people showed up. That's where we started. We were there for about two and a half years. In that season, we gathered in that season. Whatever we could gather, we just began to collect in that season. We began to meet some of you. I remember Bonnie, when she first came in, you say, how did Bonnie come? Because Anna was at Kaiser Hospital, and Anna's mom had just gone through a stroke. So Anna's downstairs in the cafeteria and meets a wonderful, sweet lady at the cafeteria line who was serving her meal and the two connected and the two said hey you seem like a nice person you look like a Christian and said yes I am they began to have a a conversation and said I go to church where do you go to church I go to church in a movie theater a movie theater and we have Krispy Kreme donuts Krispy Kreme donuts and we got a Keurig machine it's not very good but it's Keurig coffee you should join me and so now Anna's here and Bonnie's here and they begin to have an influence in that season we just begin to gather just begin to gather we would 
expand from one theater to two theaters. Sometimes we would rent the biggest theater they had, and it would still wouldn't be full, but we wanted to see, God, what do you want to do? After that season, God led us to a failed merger with Blossom Valley. In that season, we gathered, we gathered. Elizabeth and Michaela, they're here this evening. Why are they here? Because in that season, we gathered Adam and his wife, Alisa, and their family. And now Elizabeth sits here because we gathered in that season. Then from there, we went to the Southside Community Center. In the Southside community center what did we do we begin to gather some more people that's when the very first Sunday I was really discouraged a man by the name of Jacob Yabara he came up and met me I was at the door we had no equipment because we had just been kicked out of our other church he came up and he said I have a verse for you you are the apple of God's eye you remember this I remember this I wrote it down in a journal that's why I remember it and he said you are the apple of God's eye and he said he's got to work for you and so we gathered families in that season in that season we began to gather we went from the Southside Community Center all the way to the Echo Building. Remember the old roller skating building? In that season, once again, we begin to gather some people in that season, and more people begin to come. More people, we begin to expand from the Echo Building. That's where we went to Oak Grove High School, and we continue to expand. You say, why? What happened to Oak Grove High School? Because we were at Oak Grove High School. There's a man sitting at the mixer tonight. His name's Brian and his wife, Kim. We gathered in that season. That used to be their high school. And so they began to come to our church. Every season, we gather. And if you will gather, you will get what you gather. What are you gathering in this season? I know there's a lot of desperation and depression, but there's still stuff you can gather in this season. Are you not going to gather anything? Or are you just so focused on all the bad stuff happening and not seeing all the good that God is doing in your life? There are some good things that you can gather in this season. There are some things that God says, go out and gather it. Get it early and go get it and I'll use it in your future. So we've got to be a church that gathers in every season. There's got to be things that we say, I'm going to gather in this season. God's using this season. It's his manna. But too often, we hold on to things too long, good or bad. You say, what do you mean you hold on to things too long? In the scripture, it said, take sufficient for you and your family. Don't take more, just what is sufficient. You say, but, but, but I don't know if I'm going to have enough for tomorrow. And God said, what am I trying to teach you? Daily dependence. And tomorrow you're going to have to have faith that when you open that tent and when you look at the ground, that there's going to be manna. Because God was trying to move his people from Pharaoh dependence to God dependence. For 430 years, Pharaoh was God. They worshiped him as God. He was buried like he was a God. You treated him like he was a God. But he was a small G-O-D God. But there is one Jehovah God, and there is only one who rules and reigns supreme. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so God was teaching them that every day they're going to have to depend on him. So they're going to have to leave the tent and believe. And if they didn't, what happened to the manna that they tried to save? It would go stale. It would go sour. So some of you may be holding on to something that's gone stale and it's gone sour. Have you held on to a relationship too long? Have you held on to a a job too long? Have you held on to something and it just began to turn sour and bitter on you? Not too long ago, my family was up here. I was doing the Daniel Fest, but they were all enjoying crab legs. I was like, that's nice. Me and my lettuce, little rabbit over here. Give me a carrot. They had crab legs, and they were telling the story of one of my brother-in-laws, how he had the, the end of a crab leg, and he thought it was cool, and he liked that little crab leg, the little pincher thing. So he takes it, and he puts it in his room. He wanted to save the claw of the crab, but you know what happened. 
It began to smell bad, and it began to attract ants. And yet that's what you and I do. We hold on to things that God was like, that. you don't need to hold on to that anymore. You don't know the damage that that's doing in your life. You don't know what that bitterness is doing. You don't know what that anger is doing. That bitterness, that anger is not hurting them. It's only hurting you. It's time to let go of that thing. Why? Because God is doing a new thing. The Bible even said in verse 19, let no one lead any of it till morning. You see, God doesn't want you to be living on yesterday's blessings, on yesterday's miracles, on yesterday's nourishment. We need a fresh filling every day. We need fresh anointing every day. We need a fresh encounter with God every day. The things you and I are going through, we can't go through them without a fresh view of God. Each and every day, say, God, pour out something fresh. Show me something new from your word today. God, reveal, me, uh, reveal to me something else about your word. Show me who you are today. Let me see another, another angle of who you are. Let me experience you in a deeper way. And all of a sudden, they begin to see God in a different way. Too often, we are so resistant what God is doing. And we miss the miracle because it's wrapped in the mundane. There was two miracles in this passage. It was a two-for-one deal. We read over it quickly, but let me go back to it. Verse 22. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. This is a miracle within a miracle. You say, what do you mean? The manna normally lasted for one day, but on the sixth day, this manna was special. It would last two days. You see, there's miracles that are wrapped in the mundane things in your life. That God right now could be doing a miracle in your life, and you don't even see it. You don't even see that that's a second miracle. You see, not only is it a miracle that manna would show up, but it's also a miracle that this manna on the sixth day would last for two days because God was introducing a new concept. It was the concept of the Sabbath, a day of rest that you won't do any work. So God is trying to get them to a new way of living. God wants them to understand that he's doing something new. And in this season, as we're leaving the new and going into what is normal, and we feel uncomfortable, God is saying, hey, I've got a double miracle here. I've got things that are hidden in this. So you and I, we don't see all the miracles yet. We're just, oh, man, the future looks so scary. I'm not sure what's ahead of us. And God is saying, just like the miracle of the manna, it's a double blessing. It's a double miracle. And you and I may not fully understand it, but we don't need to. We just need to go forward and quiet the questions in our mind and say, God, I know that you're working in this season. I know that you haven't given up. And then I want you to go look at this verse. We're moving quickly because I want to spend the last few moments on verse 15 and verse 35. The Bible says, so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Manna simply means, what is it? But hold on a second. The Bible says, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So why didn't they call it bread? Why did they call it, what is it? You ever think about that? They, were, they named it, what is it, when God gave them the definition. I know, let me, let me, let me clarify this. Let me, let me dig into it because it caught me off guard too. Like, Israelites, they're asking, what is it? And it's like our kids, you set the plate down, what is it? It's casserole. Casserole is not a definition of anything. Casserole just means whatever was extra in the refrigerator, you threw it into a pot, you threw it in the oven, and now you're serving it to me. doesn't matter how old, expired, or what it is, you threw it in a pot, and you think because you called it a casserole that it's food. It's not food. Casseroles are not good, all right? I have a 
adamantly, vehemently against casseroles. If I'm offending you, I'm okay with offending you. I don't eat casseroles. My wife knows this, so she can't call it a casserole. She calls it something else. Here it is. God is saying, I'm giving you bread from heaven. What do you guys want to call this? Let's call it manna. What is it? God is pouring out things in your life right now, and you don't want to actually receive it, so you're kind of playing dumb and confused. God has spelled it out for you. He's made it so clear, and you're like, what is your will, God? I just don't know what God's will is. Should I steal this or not steal this? I just don't know. i got to pray about this. What? Should I lie to my boss or should I tell them the truth? Uh, Tell the truth, you're a Christian. But we as Christians are like, what are we going to call this? It's bread from heaven. Let's call it manna. Let's change the name. Because we don't want to fully accept what God is doing in our life. And we don't want to be fully obedient to it. And we want to come back to this whole murmuring and complaining thing. So let's not use the name that God uses it. And that's a little bit offensive because we're going to find out in John chapter number 6 where we're going with this. Why it's called specifically bread from heaven. Because this isn't just bread from heaven. This is not just something that they're going to consume. It is a picture of a pre-incarnate Christ. This is a picture of what Jesus is going to do for you and I. That it's not just bread that's satisfies for a day or for a moment or for a week it's the bread that satisfies for all eternity it's the bread that'll hunger and that'll cure every hunger it's the bread that'll satisfy every craving it's the bread of life it's the bread that can change your life it's the bread that once you taste it you don't want anything else that's the bread so don't call it manna what is it no this is a bread of life but yet you and i approach god's will like we're so confused by it And then we begin to change as God's given us the definition. You see, God wants to reveal what is real. And he's revealing to this passage something powerful. And I love how God is using food to train us. Because how many of you own a pet? Let me see your hand right now. Oh, yeah. How many of you trained your pet? Can I see your hand? What did you use to train your pet? I hate to tell you this. But God uses treats to train us. Just like you trained your little pet. God's up in, want a little kibble? Little kibble, come on, you could do it. You could do little kibbles. All right, maybe you don't do the little kibbles with your dog, but I have a different voice when I talk to my husky or when I'm training my horse. Because God uses food just like we use food because it's a powerful tool to train us. And God is trying to train his people. And God is using something right here. But yet you and I are resistant to what God's trying to do. And he's trying to reveal something real. And he's pointing to John chapter number 6 where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. This is a picture of Jesus. It's not just manna. This is the bread of heaven this is the bread of life it's the bread of heaven that was born in Bethlehem the house of bread and not only was he born in Bethlehem but he was born in a manger placed in a manger which is where the animals would eat it was a feeding trough and there's food the bread of life is in a feeding trough in the house of bread and he's called the bread of life it's this picture folks and yet you and I are so often we're we're in all these questions God I just don't see your hand and God's like what do you mean you don't see my hand I'm all over this situation. God wants to reveal to you. 
He wants to reveal the miracle that he's doing. He wants to reveal to you that Jesus is life now and he's life later. He's the life here and the hereafter. You see, you will never forget what God has done when you remember who he is. But how often have we forgotten what God has done? Because we've forgotten who he is. That he is a great God. That he is powerful. That he has not given up. He hasn't walked away. So we need to run to what we remember. We need to run to those things where we say, God, you got me through. God, you're the same God. You're a good God. Notice if you would, verse 35. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. For 40 years, they're going to eat manna. For 40 years, God was faithful. They didn't have to go to Sprouts. They didn't have to go to Costco. They didn't have to go to Whole Foods, Food Max, Safeway, Safe Mart. They didn't have to go to the dollar store. They didn't have to do any of that. But it wasn't just food that God took care of. The Bible even says that their clothes, their raiment didn't work out. And the sandals on their feet didn't wear out for 40 years. God was over it all. That God was providing. So we need to go back to what we remember. We need to go back to that moment where we first heard his name, where he first called us out of our life of sin, where we first realized that Jesus is good, that he meets the need, and we need to go back to that. This is something right now where we can go back to 40 years of God's faithfulness. I'm telling you right now by the authority of God's word, we're seven years in on our 40-year journey. In 40 years from now, whoever one of you takes over this church, you're going to look back and say, hey, we're still here. We're still reaching the Bay Area. We still still have a mission leading people to find and follow Jesus. We still have more people to see saved. We still have more people to see baptized. We still have to reach this area. Let's go back to what we remember. Hey, do you remember the theater? Hey, do you remember the community center? Hey, do you remember the ACO building? Do you remember the times we would go to this place and the county would kick us out? Then we'd go to the next place and, we'd, and the county would kick us out. But we wouldn't give up because the mission is greater than anything. It's not just about the preaching. It's not just about the worship. It's about the God that we serve and the mission he's given us that we are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every single creature. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship that's going to be around for not just this year, not just next year, not just the next decade, but decades to come. And people are going to come and people are going to go, but the mission stays. Every person that stayed a part of this church believes in one thing, and that is the mission that this church stands for. It is not a popularity contest. This is not something where we're looking for somebody who looks the coolest, who's the most uh, uh, engaged in politics, we're looking for men and women of God to raise up other men and women of God to train the next generation because there's a war going on outside of these doors and we've got to tell this world that there is a heaven that's sweet and a hell that's hot and there's a Jesus who died 2,000 years ago on a cross called Calvary and if they will repent of their sins they can be born again and find and taste that bread of life let's go back to what we remember let us never forget what we've been taught Let's go back to what we remember. This is what it's all about, church. This is what we're called to. Let's go back to what we remember. Oh, take us back to that moment. When I first saw Jesus, 
Oh, take me back to Fresno as a 14-year-old boy on Easter Sunday. And the message of the gospel pierced my 14-year-old heart. And I realized at that moment, that's the moment where Jesus came and he arrested my spirit. At that moment, I was convicted of my sin. It was at that moment, take me back to that old country church in, off of Clinton Avenue in Fresno. The old one-room schoolhouse that had now been converted to an old church. And take me back to the old aisles because it was an old Baptist church. We had red curtains, red pews and red carpet and red hymnals. Can somebody say amen if you're an old-time preacher? That's what I was doing. I walked the old aisle and I knelt down. My dad was the preacher and I knelt down. My dad just kind of looked at me and he was just kind of thinking, I don't know if this is good that my son's here or if it's bad that he's here. I don't know. But at that moment, I knew I needed Jesus. I needed a Savior. Take me back to that moment. We need to go back to what we remember. We need to go back to the moment where we say, God, you got me through the last time. So as we're in in this phase between new and normal, we want to fill it in with now. But I'm going to tell you what God fills it in with. He fills it in with need, not now. You say, that's kind of confusing. I know. You say, that's kind of ambiguous. I know. Because in between now and normal, you and I have a need. And it's different for all of us. And I don't know it, and you don't know it, but God knows it. He knows what you need to get you from here to there. He knows what you need in this desert season. He knows that he can provide. He knows how to get you to where he wants you to be. And it starts with you and I every day. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Every day, we need him. We can't go a day without him. But yet, we live in a world where they're saying, you need an eye watch, and you need nice shoes, and you need a nice car, and you need to have a great job, but you don't need to go to church. Super spreader. We need Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. The church needs Jesus. Every day, we need him. The ultimate display of faith is when you no longer question what God has qualified. God already qualified the bread. He already qualified it. They didn't need a debate. What do we call it? God said it's bread of life. I qualified it. It's done. It's off the table. There's no discussion. But yet you and I are trying to decide what God has already decided. Instead of simply saying, God, here's my will. I surrender to you. And that is the ultimate display of faith when you and I no longer question what God is doing. We're just like, yeah, I just trust him. I'm not naive to what's going on in this world, but I just trust him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come to the platform. I don't know what you need this evening, but God does. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? You see, stop questioning what God has qualified in your life. This bread is manna. God qualified it. He qualified it to meet the need in your life.
He qualified it to do what you can't do. It's all that we need in this season. But yet, how often you and I get into these seasons and we begin to question God as if he needs our help and our wisdom. And I know why we do it. We know we're not better or smarter or wiser than God. We do it out of insecurity. We do it out of fear. That's why we do it. We can be honest. The only reason why we question God is just because we're fearful. We're scared. We're weak. And in that moment, God shows up and says, I know what you need. Even you may know, not know what you need, but God does. And God offers us the bread of life. And this evening, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that offer stands this evening. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, tonight's the night. It may be our church's anniversary, but it can be your spiritual birthday. This could be the day where you say, yep, pastor, you were 14, but guess what? Today's my birthday. I'm inviting Jesus into my heart tonight. It doesn't matter what somebody next to you or the aisle across from you thinks or the person who came with you thinks. It matters that if God's speaking to your heart, that you answer to God, that you say yes to him. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you all a question. If you know that Jesus is your Savior and you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart, would you slip up your hand by a testimony of faith saying, yes, I know Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for lifting up your hands. Let me put your hands down. But if there was a person here, you said, I don't know Jesus. And this evening, I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And you want to ask Jesus Christ into your heart, would you slip up your hand? I could pray for you. Is anybody like that? Anybody like that? Well, if you'd like to talk to me, I'll be out here at the front. But maybe you're struggling with what's new and normal. We're going to open up the altar. And all it is, we just allow people to come up and pray, talk to God. Leave some of the burdens here that they came in with. So as our worship team prays, and they're going to lead us in one more song called Promises, I'm going to invite you to slip out of your seat. Or if you want to make an altar in your seat right there. I'm going to invite you to come forward. As the worship team plays, you slip out of your seat and you can come forward to the altar. Would you come? We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.